be stagnant in our faith. I pray that we will continue to grow in our faith all the days of our lives until the day we die and that our legacy will continue on with our children and our grandchildren, that we will share your love with them. And not the legacy of our titles or what we did in this world, but our legacy of faith, Lord. That our legacy of faith will carry on, Lord. And I pray that we will continue to grow in you every single day of our life. That we'll never think that we've arrived. That you will continue to show us and reveal to us what you would have us to do for such a time as this. I thank you for the leadership here. I thank you for Pastor Scott, Pastor Josh, Pastor Sam, Pastor Krista, and the board, Pastor Rick, and all the staff and all the volunteers. I pray that we will continue to be united in spirit and in truth, Lord. I pray over all of us and I pray that we will continue to take the gospel out of these walls, that we will continue to move it outside of church or by our gate, and that we will always, always be about your kingdom and your work. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, welcome. We are so glad you are here. My name is Allison Blevins. I'm the worship pastor's wife. Will you turn and greet your neighbor as we transition our service? Good morning, everyone. So glad that you're here today. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Church at Briargate. If this is your first Sunday, we'd love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, there's connect cards at the back of the seat in front of you, or another way, and potentially better, is to uh, download our church app. If you need directions on how to do that, there's cards out in the foyer, uh, but our church app is uh, the best way that we have to get information out to you about events that we have coming up, different life groups and different uh, ministers that we have going on at our church, and we'll love to get in contact with you and get you plugged in. So as our ushers come forward, let's go ahead and pray over our offering today. God, we thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for this beautiful Sunday, another day that you've given to us, a gift from you. And uh, God, we use this opportunity, uh, we've used this opportunity to sing and uh, worship you, God. We now worship you in our giving. Uh, Father, we go in our tithes and offerings. Uh, we pray that you will use it to further the ministries that uh, you've trusted us with here at our church. And uh, God, for all the missionaries that you've given us the privilege to support all around the world, God, you know we've, we, we know that you've placed them 
strategically in uh, places where you desire people in that area to hear about you and to connect with you, God. Thank you for using them. Thank you for using us in our giving, God. We give this day to you, and in your name we pray. Amen. Please enjoy these video announcements. Hi, I'm Josh. Welcome to Church of Briargate. We're glad you're here. If this is your first time with us, please fill out a Connect card found in the back of the seat in front of you, or download the Church Center app and fill out the New Here form. Then come to the Mission Cafe where we'd love to welcome you and offer you one of our specialty drinks on us. Here are some upcoming events. Party at the Park is happening on Saturday, July 23rd at John Venezia Park at 11 a.m. We need lots of volunteers. Come out and be a part of this outreach event. On Sunday the 24th, we will be having a potluck lunch after second service to celebrate Pastor Scott and Linda's 10th pastoral anniversary with Church at Briargate. Bring a dish to share. You can drop off cards for Pastor Scott and Linda at the box near the church office. The 2022 Ladies Colorado Conference and Retreat is October 7th through the 9th in Loveland, Colorado. You can register for the early bird price of $85 until the end of July. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about these upcoming events, ministries, and life groups, download our church app or check out our website, churchatbriargate.org. And be sure to stay connected with us on social media. If you have any questions about our events or Church at Briargate, contact the church office by emailing office at cabag.org. Have a great week. not just do the same thing we've always done. But let's do something new, exciting, and life-changing. Forget the crafts and boring lessons. Let's get in the game. This isn't just a community rec camp, but Mega Sports Camp shows how faith and athletics work together. Well, good morning. Everybody looks lovely today. Not everybody. I, I didn't see Brandon back there. My bad. <laughs> also, there was a, there's another little table out there that we're signing a petition for uh, to stand against abortion, stand against the new law that we've got uh, here in Colorado. Uh, somebody asked me, this was a while back, but somebody asked me, how many times are we going to sign those petitions? Well, that's an easy answer until it's fixed, until there's no abortion. That's how often we're going to do this. And uh, so we do have some, some uh, more information for you this morning, something that we want to uh, share with you. Uh, Krista, Aaron, why don't you guys come up this way? This is uh, something we've been processing for a while with them, but uh, I'm going to let them tell you all of the stuff. Well, hello, Church of Briargate. For those of you who don't know me, <laughs> I'm the children's pastor, so normally I'm downstairs in the basement where, they, where you lock all the kids up, you know? 
No, but we absolutely love Church at Bargate. We do. It's been such an honor to be here and for Pastor Scott to take a risk hiring me fresh out of college three years ago. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I always volunteered in kids' ministry. I always led different small things, but I was never the children's pastor. So I've learned so much about it. Uh, and just how to lead and how, you know, having pastor as our example and our mentor and even being our pastor. I feel like at a lot of churches, the lead pastor doesn't pastor his staff. And I've been honored to have that, being here as my first uh, full-time ministry job. Uh, However, Aaron uh, also has a call to full-time ministry in his life. And together we have been offered a position to be the next-gen pastors at a church in Texas. Um, That's why I brought a tissue. Here, it's your turn. (laughs) Um, I've had this calling on my life for a long time that I was supposed to be in ministry, kind of more towards youth. Um, I didn't know exactly where that was going to lead me, what that was going to look like. There's a lot of roadblocks in my life that kind of, prevented me from getting to the place where I am now, but um, in the last couple years, um, I've been working towards my um, associates and church ministries, and uh, we've been looking for this opportunity, and uh, Mary and Krista, and everything just kind of fell into place, and we've been praying about this church for six months now. Um, We kind (laughs) of, I knew that the answer was going to be yes, but I didn't want to admit it, Um, so we said yes in faith, told Pastor Scott, and there have been multiple confirmations after we said yes that this is where we need to go. Um, we don't really want to leave church. Amazing man. He's a church at Barrigate has been so good to us. Um, Pastor Scott's an amazing man. He's very wise, um, loving. <laughs> so, <laughs> Linda, <laughs> Linda has been like my second mom. Um, this church has been absolutely amazing to us, and um, it's, it's a very, very bittersweet moment that we have to say goodbye, but also um, exciting um, that we get to pursue um, our, new, our new role as the next-gen uh, pastors at this new church. So that's our big news. <laughs> oh, and then... <laughs> Our last Sunday will be um, August 28th, so we still have um, a month and a half or so with you guys. So, Well, obviously, um, why don't you guys step down there. We, we want to pray for them, too. This, this is not something that we were wanting or anticipating. We expected them to be here at least long enough to have kids, right? Isn't that like the rule? You get married here, you have kids here. But obviously, they're going to be back to visit often. Um, his brother still works here, so they're going to have to come back. And then we get to see whether they can produce good-looking kids or not. Um, so, uh, so if you guys want, anybody that wants to, why don't you come up here and let's pray for them. God, we thank you for Krista and Aaron. Lord, we thank you for their heart. We thank you for allowing to be part of our lives. And uh, God, we are, we are better and we are grateful that they have come through here. And Lord, you're guiding and leading, and so we trust you with this. We trust you with the next step of their life. 
And uh, they're trusting you, so give them confidence and peace and guide them and lead them through this. And, uh, Lord, that they will always know that, that uh, we are here and we've got their back. And we thank you for this. Protect them and keep them and let this next uh, few weeks that they're here be, be good and, and beneficial and, and a healthy transition. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> let me use this to give you just a little bit of, uh, of understanding about how we do some things. Um, so a lot of, a lot of times when, well, I would, not a lot of times, almost every time, this is the culture of the context is when a, when a staff comes to a pastor and says, Hey, I'm thinking about transitioning. The answer is, okay, then you're, you're gone. You're going. Um, that is the norm. You may not know that. You may not see that unless you've been on this side of being a pastor, but uh, that is the norm, and uh, that's always bothered me. Uh, we, we're, we're, this is not a business. I get frustrated when I hear people talk about how churches are supposed to operate like a business. They're not. That's not a scriptural context. Uh, the idea that we should be a business, that's, that's if you want to grow something that in your name. Uh, that's not if you're trying to build a kingdom. And so, so they came to me a few months ago, and we began to talk about this and, and uh, try to process um, they had, they, they had already, her, her brother, brother-in-law and sister had taken a church in Texas and they were processing what this looks like. And because their, um, brother and sister, their brother-in-law and sister obviously don't care about us. And so they, uh, they offered them this position, but we just began to talk about it. What does this mean? How do you hear God's voice? They've been to Texas a couple of times, talked to them. And, uh, we, we walk with our staff through those kind of things. We don't, we don't kick them to the curb. Uh, that's not that's not who we are. That's not how we're going to do things, and uh, and hopefully we we be able, we can we can get to the right conclusions together because they're not they're not they're not working for a different group. They're working for the same group, same group I work for. It's the kingdom of God. We're all working in this together, right? And so, pray with them, talk with them, take them to dinner, do something like that. Um, figure out how what they're going to be doing. Maybe the big picture. Maybe you can help somehow. Who knows? Uh, but, but, uh, but this is definitely one of our kids. Linda told me Linda's out of town this weekend. She's doing a camp <laughs> again. I just get a kick out of that. But, um, she's, she's, uh, she said, I'm, I'm glad I'm not going to be there. Cause like Aaron Krista said, we, we, we've done this with all of our staff. We can't help it. It's mostly Linda. Cause I don't really like the staff so much, but Linda, <laughs> uh, she, they all become our kids. And, uh, this is hard for, for her, these kind of transitions. So. So, um, yeah. So a few things I wanted to mention. You know, um, uh, he, uh, Jim just asked me, uh, what about all these people that are going to Texas? Why is everybody going to Texas? But during first service, we had a couple that just moved here from San Francisco. So it's kind of even and out a little bit. San Francisco, California is coming here. Here is going to Texas. It's just the way that it works. <clears throat> Some things that I wanted to throw out there for us um, to, to process. The FBI and MI5 came out with a, with a, um, a write-up this week talking about that uh, China is... He's not bothering me. You wanna... <laughs> so, that China is the biggest threat to the world right now. Like, like anybody's going, what? Didn't see that coming, you know. Uh, that China is the biggest threat to the world and 
is they also learned in the process, now I've been saying this for a long time, for a couple of years now, but specifically when Russia invaded Ukraine, I've been saying this, and they came out with a report this week that they, they watched very carefully how Russia invaded Ukraine because they are getting to, ready to invade Taiwan. As that is not off the table. The fact that somehow, because things get quiet, there's still a lot of stuff that's going on with Russia and Ukraine, too, that this stuff is just not off the table. Russia isn't losing as bad as you think they are, as much as CNN tells you they are. There's, things are not being reported here like there really are over there. And so there's a lot of stuff that's still happening, and, and uh, China is, is setting up their... They've been moving people and resources and armament and stuff like that, getting ready to invade Taiwan. That is, that is going to happen. Now, why does that matter? Because th this week, the same week that this report comes out, this week, our, the uh, president, the office of the president, um, took all of the controls that had been being set up for a few years now to keep China from invading our privacy uh, through things like Facebook and, and um, TikTok. In case you don't know, I know I've said this before, but you understand TikTok is there for one reason, so China can get your information. It's not so you can send stupid little videos of yourself that no one cares about. It is so they can get your information. Okay? Well, we had a lot of controls that were being built for a lot of different things, and through an executive order this last week, uh, President Biden released all of those controls. China has no more limitations on what they can do to you as a private citizen to get your information. I, I don't know how long we keep doing this until somebody does something. This is, this is crazy. So then the, the last thing that, that has been happening, this has actually been the last couple of days, about four days ago actually, um, so I've been talking a lot about Gog and Magog and, and the Ezekiel 36 through 39, specifically chapter 38, where Gog and Magog come, um, build a coalition with Iran, Persia, in Scripture, and they come down through um, Turkey, Lebanon, uh, Turkey, Syria, and even join up with Lebanon, and they attack Israel. Okay, that is that is one of the things that happens at the very end of time, right? Right before the best we can tell, right before tribulation. So when, as that is beginning to happen, that means Russia has to develop a, a, a coordination between them and Iran. I talked a few weeks ago about the fact that Israel has now signed a, uh, a treaty, a natural gas, not a treaty, but a natural gas trade with Europe that they're going to be supplying, Israel is going to be supplying about 40% of Europe's natural gas. That's already got Russia back on its heels. In fact, this is a little thing that you, you can watch between now. For the next 10 days, Russia has said that it's going to shut off all of its gas to Europe for 10 days to do uh, maintenance, right? On the 22nd, which is my birthday and a day of bacon, that, that on that day, supposedly they're going to fix it all and everything's going to be done by the 22nd. If they keep going past that, it's going to cripple, specifically Germany, but it's going to cripple a lot of the economy in Europe. And I believe by design. Because Russia's pretty upset at Europe for signing this peace treaty with Israel. Now, with all that being said, this week, Russia signed a trade agreement with Iran to be able to come from the Black Sea through to the Mediterranean and have free access into the Mediterranean and sell 
uh, more oil and, and more natural gas. And on, on top of that, our, Iran is going to be selling drones to Russia through this, that for, specifically to monitor Ukraine, okay? And so there's a lot of things that are going on that, that again, I don't know if, if Ezekiel 38 is unfolding in front of us or not. I, I, it could be another thousand years, but I do know all of the stuff that needs to happen for Ezekiel 38 to be true are all happening in ways that have never existed ever in the history of the world. And so these are things uh, just to keep your eyes on, pray about, think about why. What is the biggest reason? So that we will be motivated to serve God and to tell people about Jesus. That's the reason. It's not so we're worried about Russia or worried about China. You, you can't control those things, but you can control whether you talk to your neighbor about Jesus. That's the focus. <clears throat> so with that, I'm continuing the uh, Frog and the Rock series. And uh, I'm processing this from a few different angles. Why miracles seem to be uh, elusive to us in Western Christianity. They're, they're not around the rest of the world. I've, I've talked about this before. I've given you different examples and stories. But I've, I've preached and, te- and, and taught and prayed for people all over the world. And anytime I give an altar call for people to be healed, like most, if not everybody there gets healed. doesn't matter. It's a, specifically if it's a third world country. Okay. There is a, there is a, uh, uh, a um, necessity for the supernatural in third world countries. When you don't have the access that we in Western civilization have to things, there becomes a necessity for things. Okay? And I'm saying for the supernatural. And so I, I see this. I've, I've been all over and preached somewhere, and people get saved like crazy. They get, they get um, filled with the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of signs and wonders, miracles and stuff like that. And, and then, then the same person, the great man of faith that was preaching that, comes back to America and preach in America, and it's like almost nothing. Right? It's not me. It's my faith has been proven in the other countries. Okay? But, so the question is this. Why does that seem so elusive to us in Western Christianity? And I want to try to explain this a little bit. Here, here's a trans, some transition that I saw. I, I've seen in my life, and, I, and I've studied before this. Um, in fact, this, this question right here um, is, it basically is my doctoral thesis. Is I'm going to give you kind of a tiny, one little part of a tiny little part of it. And that is, um, so I was born in 1970. So uh, next week, I will be 42 years old. Don't add that up. So... I, there's some things I've noticed in my lifetime and some things that I've seen is when I grew up in Pentecostal churches down in Texas, I, we saw miracles all the time. We saw people getting healed all the time. It was just kind of a normal thing. Um, the first church that I remember, and I think it was the first church my parents started going back to in Chico. I think that's somewhere in, that's in Texas. I was about three or four, and, uh, and I saw miracles happen there. I saw my aunt get healed. I saw a bunch of things that were just supernatural. But, but it wasn't like, oh, look at this new thing. It was just like, this is what happens. This is who we are. This is what happens. And, uh, and, and as, as time progressed, we started seeing less and less miracles in, in 
Pentecostal slash charismatic and, and our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, we started seeing less and less of these. And this is one of the things that I think is the reason. And I, and I talked to my grandmother. She was a minister uh, in our fellowship back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. She became a missionary in the, uh, to, to the Philippines in the 80s. She, she had a lot of experience preaching and teaching and stuff like that for years. And, and I talked to her about this a handful of different times. And she said that she can remember when, when they would have services, and this would have been like in the 1950s, um, that they would have church services that uh, they would have sometimes in a building or sometimes in a tent. They would have like a tent crusade like we just did this last week. And uh, she said that they would have these services. These things were going on. But then people from other church denominations in town, like the Methodists and Baptists, stuff like that, they hated the Pentecostals. And they would come over to the tents and like cut the ropes and the tents would fall down in on the people. And, uh, and you know, when I first started hearing it, I was like, come on, Grandma, you, you're making this stuff up. But uh, I've talked to a lot of people from that generation over the last 30, 35 years. And, uh, and this was actually pretty consistent. She would say sometimes they would be having church and they'd go past lunchtime and people are getting healed and, and saved and set free and all kinds of stuff. And they would come out of the church services and, and uh, these people, these denominational people and, and, and oftentimes pastors and things would throw rotten fruit at them as they were coming out of their churches. Now, that's not my point. To, to focus on the negative with this. I'm just trying to give you context. And also, I'm not like anti-Methodist, Baptist, or whatever. I'm, we, we pray every week that they'll all get saved. So, <clears throat> so he, here is here's what, what I'm trying to say. is that We saw a transition from the 1950s to the 1970s. That these, that these churches, because most of these Pentecostal churches were on the other side of the tracks. They were very poor they were people in desperate need. They didn't have anything to be able to rely on. They had to have Jesus. They had to have the power of the Holy Spirit because they had no other options. And therefore, God did supernatural things with them. They, didn't, they couldn't go down to the doctor. They couldn't do a lot of things. And by the way, that's the same reason we're seeing a lot of this stuff. And this is only one of the reasons, but the same reason we're seeing a lot of stuff in third world countries. And then from the 1950s to the 1970s, saw so a major shift in, in this church thinking, this church mentality, and specifically within uh, our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, but there are others out there that are very similar that we saw a major shift in. And the shift was we, people started getting saved, and they started getting larger. The churches started getting larger. Um, they started seeing people that had more money start coming into the churches, maybe more position in the community, things like that. And all of a sudden, the churches begin to shift and move away from the poor areas of town and move into the rich areas of town and moved across the tracks. They became more important. They became more dignified. They became less of what I saw growing up. It would be normal in churches that I grew up in for, for people to pray at the altars for an hour, two hours. That was, that was normal. That wasn't... Weird, and specifically on Sunday nights, you kind of planned on Sunday nights. We had Sunday night services. You planned to be there till all of the children hated church. You were going to be there. Um, it was going to be 9 or 10 at night, easy. And, and there were going to be all kinds of miracles and, and signs and, and messages and tongues, interpretation, all that kind of stuff. Stuff that I'm constantly trying to get us here. 
to see this is who we are. This is what we believe in. Let's do this. Let's not be worried. Let's just step out in this stuff. To see miracles that we could see these regularly. And, and these things would go on for two or three hours, and people would be on their face before God weeping. They'd be um, praying. Sometimes get so excited, you jump up and down or run around. That wasn't outside the norm. Um, I know for some people, they're like, yeah, but that's excessive. That's exactly what David did when he won the battle and came back into town. Exactly what David did. And when they got upset at David for it, David said, I don't, I don't care if you want me to be dignified. I can be worse if you want. That's what David said. People on their face before God. This was the norm. But then we moved back, we moved across the tracks and we became um, wealthier and more important and uh, much, much more dignified, which is important, right? The problem is we left a lot of stuff behind in doing so. Dependence upon God. Just a necessity to be in God's presence, to seek his face, to expect what happens in Scripture to happen in our lives. We left some of that behind. So Mr. Frog is hopping through the woods and uh, minding his own business, not doing anything. <clears throat> and, he, and a rock falls on top of the frog and it traps him underneath the rock and he's going to die underneath that rock. There's nothing he can do about this. The rock's too big for him to move. He can't, he can't do anything to change this. Uh, he's going to die underneath that rock. And so you come walking along, and you reach down, and you pick the rock up off the frog. That's all you did. He didn't, he didn't, it didn't tax you. It, you weren't different or anything. It was just a, a, a second of your life. You take the rock off of the frog. And for the frog, this is the most amazing miracle that has ever happened. It saved his life. He was going to die underneath that rock. Nothing he could do about it. He was powerless. For you, it wasn't miraculous. For the frog, it was amazingly miraculous. I believe this is how it is with us and God. I believe that for God, supernatural things are not... For him, there is no such thing as supernatural for God. Because God's not limited to the, to the natural. You and I are limited to the natural. We're, we're limited to the laws of physics, the laws of nature. We're limited to time. Time, one direction, linear, non-stopping, can't go backwards. Time, we're all on this thing together. And there's nothing you can do about that. And then something happens in your life, and you are limited to that. And, and even to the point of physical death, you may die underneath that rock. And all God does is he reaches through into this, this thing that we call uh, time and space and all this stuff that God's not limited to. He's outside of it all. He made all those things. God's not limited to time or gravity or any of that stuff. And he reaches into this, the, 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 the laws of physics and nature and everything, and he changes something. For us who are limited to natural, it now becomes supernatural. It becomes beyond natural, and it is miraculous for us. We can't stop the laws of nature. We can't stop the laws of physics, but God is not limited to them. He made them. So it's not miraculous for God. It's not supernatural for God, but it is amazingly supernatural for us. It's not difficult for God. It doesn't tax him. It doesn't take um, some power drain out of heaven for him to, to do this, and he has to power up before he gets to the next person. He's supernatural. He's beyond natural. He's outside of all this stuff. 
what we struggle with is just letting that God be God over our life. We have two different faiths. We have faith for things, and then we have faith for salvation. And those are, those are not usually in our head. They're not the same thing. We think salvation, that's an easy one for Jesus, right? Although really, that's got to probably be the most difficult. If there's a difficulty level, that's it. All the powers in hell want you to not have a relationship with Jesus. And, and we can be saved, but we say, well, if we just pray this little prayer and, and come to church and stuff, then we'll be good. That's easy stuff. And then we come over to, to the other stuff in our life, physical things, uh, health things, relational things, all this other stuff. And we say, well, that takes extra faith. I'm financially being buried. That takes extra faith. But it doesn't. We create that paradigm. It's not reality. We do that. It's not more faith. In fact, look in the scripture. Jesus actually talks about it the opposite. When they lower the man down through the roof, he says it's the opposite. Go to that story yourself. Look at it. We make this other faith more difficult instead of saying, okay, Jesus, you're just in charge. You're just in control. In 2 Kings chapter 5, this starts with we must humble ourselves. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 8, this uh, young lady, Jewish girl, had been um, kidnapped during battle and was given to um, Naaman, the head general for the king of Aram. And Naaman has leprosy, so she says, why don't you um, get God to heal you? You do this by going to the Israelites. So the king, king of Aram sends a letter to the Israelite king and says, hey, can you heal me? This freaked the Israelite king out because he wasn't serving God. He didn't know anything about this. He couldn't do this. He definitely wasn't going to take a stand for God. Verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. This is a jab at the king. King, why can't you handle this? Because you, you, you don't have a clue. You're not serving God. You're not connected to God. You don't know God. He said, but send him to me because I know God. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. I, I love the fact that Elisha did not go out to Naaman. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit had showed Elisha not to, to go out to him because Naaman had some issues. And God wanted to address them. You know, this is something that God does with us on a regular basis. And, and I have, I've done this myself, and I've seen many other people over the years do this, where God is doing something, and we're blaming Satan because we don't like it. Right? We'll rebuke Satan for something God's doing. Because why? We don't like it. It's going against our, 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 our um, selfishness, our arrogance, our, our ego. I mean, all kinds of, our insecurities, all those things. And so then we get upset at God over this kind of stuff. And um, so Elisha sent somebody out there to talk to Naaman. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. Why? Because of his arrogance. Because his focus, self-focus and selfishness. And, you know, I... I know I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but this is one of the biggest things that's getting me in this whole political stuff. For you guys that don't know, I'm running for uh, state representative House District 15. I think most of you know that. But uh, this is the thing that gets me is just this, this sense of entitlement and, and um, arrogance that comes along with this. That somehow 
people deserve to be in a position or something. I don't understand this. I don't, I don't get it. It really does catch me off guard. In fact, I met with the, um, with the Chamber of Commerce for the whole state of Colorado. There was like 35 or 40 lobbyists at this thing. And uh, they asked me a bunch of questions to see if they want to support me, right, endorse me. And uh, they started off with, what are the top two or three things that you w- will be part of your policy, you will be running on? And I said, um, there'll be the moral things first. I've got some business ideas. I've got some specifically small business ideas and some stuff. I said, but mine's going to be mostly moral. That's where I'm going to be my lane. And I said, and so I named them because they didn't want to know. And so I... I named, I said, the abortion issue. I'm not willing, that's, that's a big one for me. I'm not compromising that one. And um, a lot of the transgender stuff in our schools and the CRT and all this other stuff, and I named a list of these things. And then, and then one of the ladies, she was a nice lady, but she said, so, um, so knowing that the Democrats have such a strong majority, how are you going to, what are you going to do to get along with them to try to get some of these things fixed? And I said, I have no intention of getting along with them. <laughs> now, this is a room that is mostly Democrats. Okay? And I said, I have no intention of getting along. They already are a supermajority, and they just forced the most evil abortion law down our throats. They didn't ask anybody. They didn't care what the Christians thought or what anybody moral thought. They didn't, they didn't none of that. They just said, you're going to deal with it, and this is how horrendous. And they made it as horrendous as possible. And I said, I am not ever going to be on the same page with those people. And I have no intention of getting along with them. There wasn't a whole lot of questions after that. (laughs) She did call me back the next day, the lady that was running it. She's a nice lady. She said, Mr. Bottoms, we are not going to support you um, as Chamber of Commerce. We're not going to endorse you. She said, do you want to know why? And I said, I'd love to know why. She said, everybody there felt like you were being forced to do this and you didn't want to do it. And I said, they have an amazing grasp of the obvious. I didn't choose this. I'm not doing this because I'm choosing something. I'm doing this because there's, people will not stand up. They won't stand up. And there are babies dying while we're playing stupid little political games. And I, and I ah, either way. So let me get back to this. Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I'm that important, right? I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me because I'm that important. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the far, far better than the rivers of Israel? (laughs) It's kind of a slide on Israel and specifically the Jordan. But here's the thing. If you've ever been to Israel, you know this. I tried to make that quieter. <clears throat> I was, this is one of the things in Israel that surprised me the most <clears throat> is how small the Jordan is. In most places, the Jordan is like an a, uh, irrigation canal. It's literally like five or six feet across. That's it. That's not the way you think about it when you think about, you know, when you're reading in the Bible stuff. And one of the places like in downtown uh, Jerusalem um, and oh, by Bethlehem, where they baptize people in the Jordan River, it's maybe 20 feet wide. Maybe. It's not an oppressive river. It's just a famous river. And Naaman gets upset. He's like, what? Why shouldn't I go to, like, the Caribbean? That would be better. I could baptize in the Caribbean. Wouldn't that be nice? 
In fact, Lynn and I, when we got over there, they said, okay, you, you, do you want to get baptized in the Jordan? That's a cool spiritual thing. And I looked at her, I'm like, it's kind of chilly today. And she's like, my baptism worked. So <laughs> that was the extent of it. <laughs> and all these people are like, but it's holy here. Yeah, but it's chilly too. So <laughs> why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Why? Because he thought he was all that and everything should be about him. And guys, I believe this is one of the main reasons that we struggle in American Christianity with really God doing stuff with us. is because we think it's all about us. We're preached that. We're taught that. We're pushed that. We have entire churches designed around making sure that you are happy and healthy um, uh, emotionally coming to church. And how do we do that? We lie to people. We tell them whatever they want to hear. Instead of saying, no, there's some problems. Let's work on this. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the frog and the rock from the concept of salvation. Why do we need to get saved? Why? What is the importance of being forgiven of sin? Because we like to leave that out of the subject. Why? Because nobody's wrong. Nobody's a sinner. Nobody's done bad things. We should all just be happy. Elisha did not even go out to talk to Naaman because he knew Naaman had arrogance issues. He knew that Naaman, it was about him. Guys, we are destroying the testimony of Jesus by making us the focus. We're tarnishing this thing by making it some happy, everybody's okay kind of thinking. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross because we are sinners. Not because we're good. Not because everything's okay, but because we're going to hell. And he wanted to change that. Naaman thinks this is literally all about him. And the irony is, is he's the one in need. He's the one that needs the healing. And he almost missed it. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman, I'm going to put a parenthetical, humbled himself enough to get to this point. Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed him. His his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God at all in the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. Why? Because Elisha knew this wasn't about him. Elisha didn't heal him. Why should Elisha get paid for this? Elisha didn't. God healed him. Elisha was just listening to God. This is... This is this is the, 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 the crux, I think, of what happens in American Christianity is can we humble ourselves before God? I'll give you, in case you haven't ever looked any of this up or studied this guy, a guy named Smith Wigglesworth, read some of the books. He, he never wrote anything, but some people wrote some books about him. The best one is the one that's written by his son-in-law. But read the books about him and some of the stuff that he did. People were healed by the hundreds in his rallies and services. But go read what he did and how he did it. It'll scare you. One lady, one, one lady in particular had a large tumor sticking out of her side, like, like basketball size. 
And she began, he began to pray for her, and then he stopped, and he rebuked Satan, and he punched her in the gut. I'm reading that like, nope. <laughs> punched her in the gut, and this tumor falls onto the ground. It was in the newspapers. Guys, this, you're like, does God do stuff like that? Well, he did a lot in the Bible. We just, don't, we just don't like that paradigm of Jesus. We don't like that vision of him. We need something that's a lot more dignified, a lot more cleaned up. Well, let's just go and check. The second thing here is that trust will follow humility. Let's go to John chapter 9. See, it's interesting how much we can talk about um, humility and being humble and all this kind of stuff until somebody cuts us off in traffic and horribly wrong us and they deserve death. Right? I was thinking about that. I, I, I have a little sentence like this in my notes. And this seemed to happen to me every 10 minutes this last week. I'd already had it written down. And just every time I turned around, something was happening. I, I, I'm back and forth to Denver a lot more now because of what I'm doing. And this just gets me. You're driving on the freeway. Everybody's going 80 or 150, it feels like. And... And you're keeping the distance between you and the person behind you and in front of you, and then there's a person that's behind you for the 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, they have this deep desire to be in between you and the car in front of you, although you've all been on this train for 30 minutes. And, I, and as soon as they pull in, I begin to tell them, God is going to judge you. I am one of God's people. Guys, it's, it's scary how easily we make this about us. Life, I'm just saying life. Our rights, our existence, how dare you, whatever it is. John chapter 9, Jesus was walking along. He saw a man had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sins? I'm not going to unpack that because that's like a whole message within itself. But we do ask some questions like that that are horribly goofy questions because we don't really get in the Bible and figure this out. I've said this before to people, that all... Sickness is because of sin, and people immediately get irritated. I don't mean your sin. I'm talking Adam and Eve's sin. All sickness started with Adam and Eve. If you're sick, it's because of sin. It just may not be your sin, but we are under the system of sin, disease, sickness, brokenness. We're in that system. Satan is in charge of this planet. That's the system we're under. So where does sickness come from? Sin. We want to personalize it like they did there, which, which is scripturally true also. But, but, but it's just because of sin. It was not because of his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us, which obviously is God. The night is coming and no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground which is unclean. You shouldn't touch that if you're a good Jewish person. Jesus spits on the ground, and he spits on the ground enough that he made mud with the saliva. Now, if I'm the blind man, I'm like, what's he doing? Why is he doing this? Is he spitting? Am I hearing him spit? And you know everybody else is like, just watch. Just watch what's going to happen. I can't. I'm blind. What's going on? 
Because this is, it doesn't matter, it's gross. And I'm not saying this because it's funny, I'm saying this because it's true. Jesus never brushed his teeth. You're like, ah, but he's Jesus, he had minty fresh breath. No, he didn't. He had morning breath times 30 years. And he's spitting on the ground and he's making this little mud pack for this guy's eyes. But here's the thing, everybody else was thinking, this is gross, this is nasty. But see, when you're the guy that's blind, you're saying, give her a try. Because there's a necessity, there's an urgency. There's a God, I need this. If you're not blind, you don't understand. But if you're blind, you understand. You need this. He rubbed the mud over the blind man's eyes, and he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Now here's the question. I asked this last week. I'll ask it again this week. And I'm not saying this like pejoratively poking us. I want you to think about this. What, what would God have to do to convince you he can do something in your life? What would God need to do right now to raise the faith bar for you to say, God, you are supernatural and you can take care of anything? Why don't you stand with me? God's given us story after story, Old Testament, New Testament, of how he can do supernatural things under any kind of circumstances. Guys, our responsibility is to say, Lord, help me to stop resisting this. Help me to stop fighting against who you are. Help me just to see you as you. Guys, that's the most difficult thing for all of us, okay? So I'm not picking on us. But help me to stop defining you and let me let you define you. Let God be really big. He's a supernatural God does amazing things. Let me pray for us. God, we lift this up to you. Lord, I really do want you to open my eyes. I want to see supernatural God, not a God limited by my logic or my understanding. I need a supernatural God. Lord, that you are so much bigger than anything I could ever understand about you. You're bigger more amazing, more majestic, more holy, more supernatural than I could ever imagine. God, every problem in my life added together all on the same day, it's still nothing when it comes to how powerful you are. Every, every major, minor issue in every one of our lives together is nothing compared to how big and powerful you are. But God, we struggle with that. We struggle believing that. We struggle thinking that way. So God, help us. Help me to believe you, not just to believe in you, but to believe you. When you say you, do, you can do anything, help me believe it. When you say I can pray and do even more things than you, help me to believe it. In Jesus' name. And God, and I pray for every one of us. Whatever, whatever we've got going on in our spirit that, that, makes us, that makes us want it to be about us and our lives and our focus and our existence. Jesus, break that and humble us. Lord, I don't, even, I don't even think you're the one that humbles. I think we humble ourselves. So push us toward that.
I put myself before you. And then, Lord, I just want to trust you. I want to trust you. Lord, as I humble myself, teach me to trust you. If you guys say, that's, that's where I'm at. That's where the, I'm at. I just need to humble myself and trust the Lord. If I could just to raise your hand and keep your hand up. Lord, you see this. You see our hands. Lord, and more importantly, you know our hearts. Lord, we want less of us and more of you. Less of our plans and more of yours. Lord, we can't heal ourselves, but you can heal us. We can't fix the problems, but you can fix the problems. So Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. You're the, the beginning and the end of everything. We humble ourselves before you. My life is not mine, it is yours. My, my family is not mine, it is yours. My finances are not mine, they're yours. I give them to you, Lord God, everything. Lord, they're yours. My time is yours. My abilities, my gifts, they're yours. They belong to you. So God, I humble myself. And tell him from your own heart, Lord, I humble myself myself before you that you're the king and I am not that you're in charge I'm not this is your church it's not mine we're your people in Jesus name so I'm going to leave this with you, push this a little bit. Throughout this week, and not just this week, because I think we, you know, for the next six months, a year, two, three years, I think we got some difficult stuff ahead of us. I talked about that a lot last week. But here's the truth. Anytime it pops into your head, oh no, what about this? Immediately, God, you're the one that's in charge. You're the king, I'm not. Submit it to him. Immediately submit it to him. But look at the stock market, submit it to him. What about our president? Submit it to him. Submit it to him. And then let God be God over everything. All right? Just let God be God. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus this week. Use something, something that will start the conversation and let somebody know Jesus loves them. God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So don't forget to connect with uh, Jordan and Rachel. Grab one of their prayer cards. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.